Well, guys, I want us to get started with a word of prayer before we continue on. I won't pray too long so that you don't fall asleep, but we'll be able to just pray together and get going. Father, we just come and we thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you do and what you want to do in our lives. So I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that we would see you clearly, we'd understand you deeply. I pray for us as men, God, that we would stand strong, Father, and that we would grow in this time together. And So we thank you for that, and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to know that I'm very excited to be here. I woke up this morning and I was thinking about how much impact in which we can have in this room. That in this room there's so many families represented, there's so many friendships represented, there's so many children represented, grandchildren even, maybe even great-grandchildren. And if this room goes well, our church will go incredibly well. If the men of the church goes well, the church will go incredibly well. If the men of the church goes well, the families will go incredibly well. If the families go incredibly well, on the society will go incredibly well. And so we have a wonderful time of launch at this spot. We have a wonderful time of launch. Now, it's great when you get men together. Because when you get men together, men understand men. So we kind of, we understand the program. We don't want anybody sitting too close to us. Let's have appropriate distance. You know, nobody needs to get a fork and go across to somebody's plate and get something to eat. That sort of thing. Everybody needs to get their own stuff for themselves. That sort of thing. So I got a men's thesaurus. And I want to see if you can relate with some of these. And a men's thesaurus, it kind of gives what we say, but then what we really mean. And this is what we say. It's a guy thing. This doesn't have anything to do with the slides. So don't, if you're like, I don't have these on my computer. Don't worry. Okay. <clears throat> it's a guy thing means there's no rational thought pattern connected with it and you have no chance of making it logical. Can I help with dinner means why is it not already on the table, honey? Uh-huh. Sure, honey. Or yes, dear means absolutely nothing and is a conditioned response. Take a break, honey. You're working too long means I can't hear the game over the vacuum cleaner. (laughs) Yeah, I've got my reasons for what I'm doing means and I'm hope and I hope pretty soon I will figure out some of them. I can't find it. I have this problem all the time. I've been looking for these headphones. Uh, all the leadership team gave me some headphones and I couldn't find them, Jason, for about a week. And I kept looking for them, looking for them. So I was scouring the house. I asked Kelly one thing. First place she looks, she finds it. So this is true. I can't find it means it didn't fall into my outstretched hands, so I'm completely clueless. So that's me. <laughs> you look terrific means please do not try on one more outfit. I am starving. We share in the housework means I make the messes and she cleans them up, okay? The last one, no, I'm not lost. I know exactly where we are means no one will ever see us alive again is what that means. So we have a men's thesaurus that we're able to operate from and we're able to say we want to learn these vocabulary. We're going to learn some great vocabulary through this study. Now, this study is going to require a few things from you. This study is going to require some toughness. You're going to need toughness and commitment. That's going to need to happen. You've got some books there on your table, and as I'm speaking, there'll be some notes. So why don't you all go ahead and pass those out. Um, And it's going to be in the first page eight is where you're going to want to turn just before we get going. Page eight, there's some pens on your table. So get those books. Page eight. All right, good. And we're just going to kind of fill out some things. So we're in the little welcome to uh, the quest for authentic manhood. You're going to need a few things. You're going to need toughness and commitment. You're going to need toughness and commitment. Now, 
It's early, but you and I both know this is the only time that would absolutely or that would actually work in any way, shape or form. If we were to meet at three o'clock in the afternoon, nobody'd be here. If we were to say, hey, let's do it again at seven o'clock, we'd have family responsibilities. We'd have things that we're involved in. We're so glad that married folks are here, that single folks are here. Man, this is come one, come all. We're so excited about that. But you're going to need toughness and commitment. Now, there was a guy that I bumped into at our church um, uh, about uh, two weeks ago. We redid some of the preschool area, if you haven't been by there, and also the youth area. We were redoing a lot of stuff. But the preschool area, kind of that direction, we kind of looks like a Finding Nemo type thing. It's got a bunch of blue and fish and all this stuff. So it was uh, a thing that we wanted to do. And so we got that done. So I went down there, and I just wanted to look at it and see it. So I was down there, and this guy walked up to me. He goes, man, I am coming to the quest for authentic manhood. And I'm so excited about it, and I have signed up, and I am just banking that the next 24 months that we meet together at 6 a.m. will just really be life-changing. And I thought, this guy has got toughness and commitment. He is ready to go. And I said, it's just 24 weeks. And it was amazing to be able to say, just 24 weeks. And his mind went, oh, that's easy. So that was great. So I don't know if Mike made it this morning, but we had a great conversation to be able to be in there. He was ready for 24 months. So you're going to need toughness and commitment. That alarm's going to go off and that snooze is going to hit. That night before, you're going to say, oh, nobody in my table group will really miss me. And you're going to need toughness and commitment to make it through. Secondly, you're going to, or thirdly, you're going to need willingness to open up. You're going to need willingness to open up. Around these tables, as you form these relationships, there's going to be times in which we're going to have some easy questions today, but they're going to get to some harder questions. As we get to those, there's going to be a willingness to open up that you're going to say, okay, I'm going to crack open this thing in my heart and I'm going to let somebody in. And when they get in, I'm going to trust them and I'm going to allow God to use them in my life. It's going to be difficult because as guys, we typically we talk on the surface and we never get to the depth. So we're going to need that. The second or the fourth, whatever number I'm on, courage to examine your life. Courage to examine your life. I love the phrase, and this is what it is. The unexamined life is not worth living. The unexamined life is not worth living. That there has to be an examination we take in our life. That we look and we say, okay, we're going to examine these things and we're going to look into our hearts and see what it is that God wants to do. Because you know what, gentlemen? In every man in this room, there is a lot below the surface. There is a lot in you that needs to come out. Good things, bad things, indifferent things right in the middle. But right there in your heart, there are some deep, deep things. You and I both know we're driving home sometimes from the office and our minds are thinking and we're going. And this is a place where we'll be able to unpack some of those things. Let me give us a little bit of a journey of where we're going, of what this looks like. We're right now in the quest for authentic manhood. And on the quest for authentic manhood, I want to give you the focus, the chief elements, the major challenges and passions. Okay, you're going backwards. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, wait, wait, go back to those. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm supposed. No, no, no. Those are those work better. You got it. You got it. Maybe not. Who knows? There we go. Let's go with some strange facts first. That was that was kind of the lead in. It's it doesn't matter. Here we go. All right. Some strange facts we got about before we get to what this whole thing is about. A Boeing 747's wingspan is longer than the Wright brothers' first flight. Kind of an interesting thing. No piece of paper can be folded in half more than seven times. You'll try that later today, I bet. You're like, oh, bull. 
You think you haven't seen me make origami. You don't know what you're talking about. Donkeys kill more people annually than plane crashes. Now, that's an interesting thing. So if you ever get scared to get on a plane, you can do that. Venus is the only planet that rotates clockwise. Apples, not caffeine, are more efficient in waking you up in the morning. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Michael Jordan makes more money from Nike annually than all of the Nike factory workers in Malaysia combined. I believe that. Walt Disney was afraid of mice. Kind of interesting, strange facts. The typewriter is the longest word that can be made using the letters only on one row of a keyboard. Okay, you got to think about that one for a minute. It's physically impossible for you to lick your elbow. And everyone that hears this today will at least try one time to do that. So in your office, when the door closes, there's not a call to receive. You've tried to fold the paper seven times. Go for it. See what you can do. Let us know next week. And the strangest fact of all is most men cannot tell you what a man is. Most men cannot tell you what a man is. In a succinct definition of what a man is, we have trouble explaining that. And that's what a quest for authentic manhood is about. See, all of us at some point tried to be a man. I found something that reminded me of some of my attempts to be uh, a man that I didn't know really what it was. And it is something that I found. And it is jerky chew. Did anybody have this when you were a kid? You're trying to be a kid. It's terrible. I, ha- I opened it up last night and did it. I, I put it, I stuck it in my lip. I said, look, Kelly, I'm dipping. I'm dipping. And she's like, gross, gross, gross. But I was like, I still think this kind of looks cool. You know, let, looked in the mirror, you know, check it out. But as a little guy, I had jerky chew and I stuck it in my back pocket so that I have hopefully make the ring maybe in the back pocket. I had big league chew. These things that we try to use to make ourselves a man. Now, this is a kid deal, but we're still doing some of the same things, guys. We're just using different forms of jerky chew, if you will, to try to get that skull ring in the back pocket to make somebody say he's a man. And so we've got to be able to define what is it that really makes a man. This journey is a really a three-year journey. Now, you only signed up for the first year. Don't worry, we haven't, you know, this isn't a bait and switch type thing, okay? You're not like three years. But we want to give you a picture of what these three years look like so that you can understand this strange fact of not being able to define what a man is. We will be able to understand that. So the chart that you have below there, MF1 is where we are. That stands for Men's Fraternity. You'll hear this called Men's Life Quest, Men's Fraternity. The name is a quest for authentic manhood. That's where we are this morning. The focus is a man's sense of identity. That's what we're focusing upon. A man's wounds are the chief elements. The major challenge is the boy in you must die. You'll hear more about that. The boy in you must die. And the passion is seizing authentic manhood. Now, just hearing those statements is worth your 20 bucks to just give you things to ponder on that. Name a quest quest for authentic manhood. Focus a man's sense of identity. Chief elements, a man's wounds. Major challenge, the boy in you must die. Seizing authentic manhood is the passion. The next one that we have here, 
Winning at work and home is the name of it. I know I'm going probably too fast, but if we get bogged down in this, we'll, we'll, uh, we won't get to the good stuff. Winning at work and home. Let's just put our name. Let's just jot in the names. How about that? Is that good? Well, you get as much as you can. I'll keep saying them. A man's chief responsibilities is a focus. Chief elements, balancing work and family. Major challenge, the man in you must step forward. So the boy in you must die was our first thing. Now the man in you must step forward. This would be year two. The passion is establishing authentic manhood. Third one. The great adventure is the name. A man's chosen destiny is the focus. The chief elements are adventure in life. The adventure in you, adventurer in you, must live. And the passion is authentic. Maximizing authentic manhood. There you go. All right. Manhood. Right. Amen. I can't hear what you're saying, but I'm going to have to keep moving. All right. Okay, now we're going to take some five presuppositions here, okay? This is on your next page. These are five things that we're going to assume. Number one, manhood is in a state of confusion. Manhood is in a state of confusion. Now, I think you would probably agree with that. There's a Princeton researcher that gave this this quote to the man that that helped out, that wrote this book that we're going through. And he said this. Particularly those 25 and under in the United States are nearing a state of masculine meltdown. They have no clear identity of what their masculinity is or what it means to be a man. They are drifting and underneath the surface of their lives is confusion. See, there's some things that happen in our lives. We move as men into a state of confusion by a few different things. Number one is the what. We end up with a problem with the what. In college or in high school or when we were growing up, the what, we thought that when we had all these things, the what of things, that when we had a marriage, when we had a job, when we had our own apartment, when we had our own car, when we had our own this, the what, the things that we received as the what, that we would end up with these things that would give us a thrill in life. And what happened is we ended up being disappointed with life. And that pushed us into confusion because of this reason. The things that we thought were going to give us a thrill ended up giving us a heaviness of responsibility. So that you think forward and you think, man, if I could just get a date, if I could just get a girlfriend, if I could just be married. Some of you singles may be thinking the same thing. And then once I get married, everything will be great. Everything will be wonderful. And then you're married. Well, once I get married now, if once we have kids, I know if we have kids, that's going to be the great. Oh, it's going to be incredible. And this thrill you realize at some point it is a thrill. It should be a thrill. But that thrill becomes a heavy weight of responsibility. My, my whole life I've been dreaming about taking my, my child to school and the, what it would look like and how it would be. And so I drive Grayson every morning. I uh, won't do it this morning, but almost every morning. Drive him to FBA, the school that we have here, and he goes to school there. And so I, I've thought about that day and he's got a little backpack. You know what ends up now? Grayson, we're late. Come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. We got to go. We, got, we don't have time to, let's go. 
And the thrill of it can get stolen away by the responsibility of it. And many of us are living, married or single, under deep heaviness of responsibility that we thought 10 years ago these were going to be the thrills. If I could get out of school, get a job, get my own place so I could be paying my own bills, life will be great. And now we go, man, if I could go back to school, live in a dorm, sleep till 10 a.m., right? Life would be great. The devil's biggest lie is the grass is always greener. That's the devil's biggest lie. So we're confused because we've been disappointed with life. Secondly, we have pain. There's unresolved pain. Some of us are still dealing with things that our father said to us that hurt us. Thirdly, there's loneliness. That we have loneliness. We feel like we're in a bubble and we're the only one. And we have a lot of acquaintances. A lot of business partners, possibly. But who do we have as deep friends? Deep friends. The second thing that happens is confused men create major problems. Confused men create major problems. Now, when you look at the stats, just listen to these. You'll find that most of the kids who are truant today have problems with absent or deadbeat dads. 90% of all the major crimes in the United States are from men. 100% of the reported rapes are typically from men. Now, that's probably because a man's embarrassed to say he got raped. I don't know what the deal is on that. But so it's just a but aggravated crimes, those sort of things. Now, 95% of the burglaries are from men. 91% of all the offenses against families and children come from men. 94% of all the drunk drivers are men. So much that in the 90s, Time Magazine put out a cover that said, are men really that bad? That was the cover article. Because confused men begin to have major problems. And so what we want to be able to do is to head off that confusion so that we can head off the problems. Now, it'd be true to say, though, probably in this room, we don't have a whole bunch of criminals in this room, I hope. But we do have some confusion that we can create some problems just in the same way. Now... I want you to hear the life, uh, a couple different quotes. This one lady, Margaret Mead, said this. The central problem of every society is to define the appropriate roles of men. That's the problem of every society. Can we define the appropriate roles of men? Now, with this in mind, these things about confused men, I want you to listen to this quote. And about halfway or about towards the end of this quote, we're going to show a video to illustrate this quote. So as we go through this quote, you listen And then watch this video and see if this doesn't capture a little bit of the boredom that we thought was thrill of a job and a life that turns into a responsibility. Here's the quote of a psychologist named Rollo May. And he gave this in the when in the 50s. Okay, this is in the 50s. So a generation ago, the clearest picture of an empty life is a suburban man who gets up at the same hour every weekday morning, takes the same train to work in the city performs the same task at the office, lunches at the same place, leaves the same tip for the same waitress, comes home on the same train every night, spends a two-week vacation at the shore every summer, which he does not enjoy, goes to the church but doesn't really know why he goes, moves through a routine, a mechanical existence year after year until finally he retires at age 65, very soon after dies of a heart failure possibly brought on by repressed anger, Though I have always had a suspicion that he died from boredom. I love the line in that video clip. Is that it then? That's it for the paperwork. The rest is up to you. 
some point, all the things that we amass will go to somebody else's hands. But how we live for eternity and how we lived as a man, that will make a difference for the rest of time. C. Confused men settle for less. Confused men settle for less. That's what that illustrates. Letter D. There's no lofty vision of manhood today that is compelling to men. There's no lofty vision of manhood today that is compelling to men. That we need to take and reclaim and say, okay, here we go, wild at heart style. We've got a compelling vision again of what it means to be a man. And now we can move forward with excitement and the things that we thought were a thrill that have just brought heaviness of responsibility. We can actually see that that is a thrill. That there's a thrill to being a single man. That there's a thrill to being a married man. There's a thrill to having responsibility. There's a thrill to having an occupation. There's a thrill to doing things together as men and with our friends and with our family. So that there's a compelling vision again to being a man. We don't have that today. You watch TV commercials today and it's usually some beautiful blonde comes in and some man ends up looking like a doofus, right? He says something dumb. He fumbles around. He takes a sip of his beer and the suds are still on his nose. She flips her hair and walks on away type deal. There's no compelling vision of what it really means to be a man. Our fifth supposition as we journey on this, I'm setting the foundation for our launch, is the Bible, I believe, has helpful insights to all of the above. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says this in verse 11. When I was a man, or excuse me, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man... I put childish ways behind me. But when I became a man, that's what we're talking about, guys. But when I became a man in this verse, that section is what we're talking about. And we're having some presuppositions that we're confused on what true manhood is. That confusion gives us problems. We don't have a compelling vision. We feel a little bit aimless at times. But there's hope because we can become men in that spot. I'm going to give you just from my own heart as I was kind of looking over this stuff. Psalm 1, listen to this. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, who st- or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. He's like a stream planted by streams of water. Like a tree, excuse me, planted by streams of water. Which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not so with the wicked. They're like chaff. They're blown by the wind away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand judgment or in the stand in the nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I love that. But blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. With my little boy, we got a little green Gideon's Bible and we, we call it his Bible because it's small, it's little. And so we've been getting in, into bed every night reading stories. And the last story we always read, we always read something out of the Bible. That's our last, that's the most important book. So we read, you know, kitty book, number one, number two, and then we open up the Bible. So he and I have been going through Psalm chapter one together, talking about what it means to be a great godly boy and choosing your friends wisely. We've just been walking through one verse at a time. Now, look, it don't, don't get in your mind like it's this great holy moment all the time. I mean, half the time I'm trying to get him to keep listening and he's going, Daddy, what? Why didn't y'all paint the... Yeah, I mean, you know, so I'm just doing the best I can, okay? So if you're like, God, wow, my kid, 
you know, just whatever. But so my kid too, okay? But we're trying to walk through because I want him to know what it means to be a man. And I think there's something about laying there snuggling with your dad hearing from the Bible that's going to make him a man and it's going to take him. And we've got the same thing. Now, I want to give you these three things that I found compelling and very interesting of where our manhood got off base. And it's in the historical roots of our present crisis of masculinity. Number one was the Industrial Revolution. You don't have any blanks. You can just take notes on this part. The Industrial Revolution, in the beginning of the 20th century, we moved from an agrarian society to an industrial society. Now, what that did for our manhood, guys, is that took the dads out of the fields and brought them into the factories. So previously, you'd go with your dad as a son. You'd go out in the field. You'd work shoulder to shoulder with him in the field. You'd take a lunch break. His mom uh, came out and said, lunch is ready. And you'd go in, you'd eat lunch with your dad. And then you'd come back out in the fields and you'd work shoulder by shoulder with your dad. And your dad would tell you, now, this is the crop and this is how we raise it. This is how we do it. My in-laws, they've ranched the same land for 150 years. My father-in-law ranches the same land his dad ranches, the same land his dad ranches. So my wife's great-grandfather ranched the same land, shoulder to shoulder, shoulder to shoulder. But now the generation that we live in, everybody moved to the city. That began way back in the Industrial Revolution. So men moved from working shoulder to shoulder with their dads every day, all day, to dad goes to the factory, see if this relates. Dad goes off to the factory to, to work. He comes back home, and now he's too tired to really involve himself in the fathering and the parenting. Can anybody relate? I can I get home and I'm like, I'm dead. I'm dead. But now it's job number two. Let's go. Right. So it began in the Industrial Revolution so that he now the son was with his mom all day long until he went to school and had women teachers all day long until maybe about seventh grade. He had a coach. And dad just came home tired. So it was no longer arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder. The second thing that happened was World War Two. The dads went off to World War Two. And when the dads went off to World War II, they are called the greatest generation by Tom Brokaw. And I'm sure we would all heartily agree. But this is what happened. The reason they're called the greatest generation is because they exchanged their youth for war. Now, we're grateful for that as a nation for the freedoms that it brought. They exchanged their youth for war. But when you exchange your youth for war, you begin to make defensive walls around your emotions. Because now you're an 18-year-old that just killed somebody or saw somebody killed. You've got to protect your heart. So you've got to be really, really careful with that. So what happened is then when they came back, most sons of World War II veterans would say that their dad then worked too hard and parented too less. The dad worked too hard, or let's say it like this, the dads worked too much and fathered too little. Because they went off to war, they had to protect their emotions. So now they came back and they built a big business and the greatest generation came back and built all the this, that and the other and built all the things that, you know, maybe some of you are working for those companies that were built back in those days. And so now here you are. But when you're a kid in that, now your dad goes off to work all the time. All, all he does, it's a new industrial revolution and his emotions are seared. So there's no hugs. There's no kisses. There's no I love you's. There's no this, that and the other. Mom changes the diapers. Mom puts the kids to bed. Mom does all the playing and nurturing. Dad just sits in the easy chair, turns on football, and watches. The third thing that happened in the 1970s, you see how this is building? Industrial Revolution, World War II, 
Third thing in the 1970s was feminism. Feminism. What can I do? Plenty, sister. She's doing her arm like this. Now, that arm move, that's from, anybody know what product that's from? Arm and hammer. The baking soda, right? A man's arm with a hammer. And there he is flexing it like that. Feminism in the 70s did something. Its goal was to bring equality. Now, you and I, we're all for women being paying the same, paid the same amount as what a man would be paid for the same job. We're not trying to make caveman days come back. Equality is great, but what happened was it morphed from equality to sameness. It morphed from equality to sameness. So our gender lines were blurred. What can I do, sister? I can do plenty. I can do anything a man could do. You don't tell me what it is to be feminine. Don't say what it is to be masculine. So now if you speak about roles of masculinity and femininity, it's not femininity. It's not PC. It's not politically correct, right? Because it has to be the same. The sameness has to be there. So if you're raising daughters, raise a girl. If you're raising sons, raise a man. Don't let the sameness come through there. Now, should there be equality? Of course. Of course, but there needs to be different roles and there doesn't need to be a sameness. See, that's an amazing thing. When I, when I was going through that, I just thought, what a, what an, I, I never thought about the history of how we got where we are, but that explains a lot. Now, here's things I want to promise to you, because looking at those three things, no wonder we're confused. I want to give you a couple things of what this material is going to do for us. A, you'll have a clear definition of manhood. You'll have a clear definition of manhood. You'll be able to walk from here and it won't be, I'm not sure what a man is. I don't know. Just give me some jerky chew to put in my back pocket and I'll try to act like a man, but I'm not sure. Number one, you'll have a clear definition of manhood. B, you will develop a new manhood language. See, we'll begin to have words like servant leader, feminized man. You'll know the definitions of this rejecting passivity, leading courageously. You're going to hear things like conventional manhood, manhood wounds, the boy in you must die, the king in you is what decides. This is an interesting one. If you're not being admired by another man, you're being hurt every day. And then you'll also hear some things, especially around your table, this guy needs to unpack and you'll know what that means. So we'll be able to have some some uh, some understanding of language. You know, every vocation has its own language. Every vocation has its own language. I went to a lunch with a bunch of lawyers a few weeks ago. I don't. I still don't know what they were talking about. <laughs> I, I mean, they just oh, we need a and I'm like, you know, and I'm trying to throw something out. Well, I'm pre-tribulation. <laughs> what do y'all know what that means? What's your eschatology? You know. Because in my profession, I got those words too, right? We just start throwing out a lot of ologies and, you know, those sort of things is what I get. They've got statutes. I've got ologies, okay? Every, every profession is, you know, some type of uh, coup against the layman on its two terminology, all right? So we're going to learn some language that's there so that we can talk not just superficially, but about things deeply. C, you'll make significant personal discoveries. Significant personal discoveries. We'll begin to take the manhole off, take the hood of the car up. And when we do that, we'll begin to look at the engine. Uh, Mark Bradley, 
over there. He helps with a lot of stuff. He's a hard-working, great, great guy. If, if you don't know Mark, you need to get to know him. He's on our staff, and, and he works, I mean, as hard as anybody in this place. So appreciate you, Mark, so much for all you do. But he, he's also a lot of fun. So he came up to my office. He said, Greg, we moved the organ. And we found that there's a hole underneath the organ that you can go all through all of these tunnels that are underneath the organ. Do you want to go down there with me? And I was like, man, I really do. But I can't right now. I got some things I got to do before I can go through there. But that's what we're going to do a little bit. We're going to move the organ. We were, trying to, we were fixing some things on the organ. If you're worried, oh, my gosh, they're moving the organ. Go tell every. No, we were moving it to fix it, make it even better, okay? So in moving that, you can get through in all these little tunnels, and so what we're going to do is we're going to move the organ a little bit. The things that move, that, that make noise in our life, the things that play the big songs we want everybody to hear, the big anthem of our life, we're going to move that a little bit off center, and we're going to get down in the holes, and we're going to look down in there to see what it is that needs to be fixed. Letter D. You'll make new friends who are pursuing a common goal. You'll make new friends who are pursuing a common goal. And E, finally, you'll have your own personalized plan for achieving authentic manhood. You'll have your own personalized plan for achieving achieving authentic manhood. Now, think about that for a second, guys, what we just hit. In just one little moment, we've just gotten some really good stuff. And we've gotten a launch. This is just a launch date for us to be able to keep coming to say, okay, we're going to unpack these things and we're going to take these things so that we can really walk in having a new thesaurus of manhood. A new understanding of what it means to be a man. Is it going to be hard to get here at 6 o'clock in the morning? Oh, yeah. Wait till it starts getting cold and rainy and you're underneath those covers. You'll be like, I know what an authentic man is. He manages his time well. And I need sleep is what I need. That's what an authentic man is. And you'll, you know, do that. But get here. Come, man. We want you to be here. We want you to be here uh, to be able to have that. We're going to divide up into our table groups. um, And we've got some questions there. Uh, that are questions number one and number two that we will be able to um, to look through and to ask around our table groups. Mark, do I need to turn it back over to you? Okay, good. I'm going to turn it back to Mark.